Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's go ahead and uh, begin in a word of prayer. Thank you, God, for today and your continued kindness to us. We thank you for your word and its sufficiency. We thank you that you continue to show us that we need you more. And so help us to rest in that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. I think the reference may be wrong on that title screen there. But 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11 is the text that we'll be in today. Today's passage marks the beginning of one of the most uh, hotly debated aspects of church life here in the 21st century. And of course, that uh, is uh, uh, spiritual gifts. Paul marks the beginning of this new section with the words now concerning, which as you know, has been his indication that he is changing gears and he's going on to a new topic. Uh, Today's topic of spiritual gifts is going to extend through the end of chapter 14. And so we have several chapters here in 1 Corinthians that are going to be dedicated to this topic of spiritual gifts. It is noteworthy to... um, uh, to note that 1 Corinthians 13, which is, as we all know, the love chapter, is within the section on spiritual gifts. And Lord willing, we will get to that in time. If you search on Google today, you can find dozens of hits on spiritual gift tests and spiritual gift assessments. And you will find some very interesting titles to some of these things, such as Discover your spiritual gifts, exclamation point. This is some, I've found these on Google this week, so these are not ones that I've made up. Uh, Here's another one on a spiritual gift test. It says, is today the day, capital letters, you answer God's calling on your life? Today, the day that you take this spiritual gift test is the day that you answer God's call. Or there was this one that I came across. It says, discovering and exercising your God-given spiritual gifts allows you to experience maximum fulfillment with minimum frustration in your Christian life and ministry. Is this a spiritual gift test or a fad diet advertisement? You know, which one is this right here? One spiritual gift test that I saw, and I won't put the uh, picture up here, but one spiritual gift test that I saw had a screen with a bunch of animals on it. And the first test, the first question of the test was you had to pick out an animal. You know, I don't know if your favorite animal or whatever. Uh, The choices you had was an elephant, a wolf, a tiger, a deer, a raven, a butterfly, a hawk, or a whale. I don't know how picking out that animal helps them to know how you're spiritually gifted, (laughs) but I guess that's kind of besides the point. Another site has a gift test, and at the top of the page it says unique, and it's spelled like you see on the screen here, unique, in capital letters uh, is what they put in there. Um, Now, in case I'm kind of beating around the bush and not being entirely clear, I'm going to say it outright. Uh, I don't think you should take a spiritual gift test, okay? Uh, And uh, many of these, for one, were forged. Many of these spiritual gift tests that you can go online and take uh, were forged by the values of man-centered theology, not God-centered theology. And for another, 
Who really thinks that we can distill the work of the Spirit down to a Scandron test? How how can we possibly think that we are going to develop some kind of a multiple-choice exam and now we know how the Spirit is working? And for those of you who have taken a spiritual gift test, just don't tell me that you took one. (laughs) But there's more to this passage today that is hotly debated, more than just taking spiritual gift tests. And one of the most aggressively discussed aspects is whether or not these spiritual gifts are still for today, uh, or whether some were temporary gifts that were for the transition between testaments. Now, some of you are familiar with some of the more technical or theological terms that are often used here. Uh, Those who believe in the continuation of the gifts, and specifically now we're not talking about spiritual gifts in general, but the continuation of some of the miraculous gifts like speaking in tongues and healing and miracles, those people would be called continuists. And for those who would say that the sign gifts have ceased or ended, they would be called cessationists. And so these are some technical terms that are used to describe uh, how people would believe uh, about these issues. And so as we work through today's text, And through the end of chapter 14, this issue is going to come up again and again and again because Paul is going to be listing a lot of gifts, and some of these gifts that he lists are going to be uh, that are more miraculous in nature. And so the question is, where should we stand on this particular issue? Is there enough scripture to come to a conclusion on these things? Um, And these are the kinds of things that we are going to see from week to week on this portion of Scripture. Now, I want to give you one warning, and that is I am going to touch on this issue today, but I'm not going to fully answer this issue as completely as I could. I'm going to give to you what I think the biblical position is, Um, but uh, we're not going to fully see the answer to this issue. And the reason for that is because I'm going to let the text week to week speak on this issue. And so we'll see a little bit of it and see it kind of explained as we go. But before we do begin, there is one more thing that I do want us to draw uh, to see, to draw our attention to, that really is the glue that holds today's text together. And there is a cohesion, there is a unity in our passage in front of us that I would say actually in many ways is marvelous to look at. And really the best way to explain this to you is simply to put it up here and show you what the text says. And the text speaks again and again and again to the fact that everything that we see comes from the Spirit. It comes from God. And this is simply all the times that the passage says something related to the Spirit of God. We have in the Spirit or in the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit, same Lord, same God, of the Spirit, through the Spirit, according to the same Spirit, by the same Spirit, by the one Spirit, by one in the same Spirit. Okay? And in case there's any uh, uh, confusion here, The Spirit is really driving the passage in front of us. It is the unity in the Godhead, of course, when we see the same Lord, the same God, the same Spirit. And we see, really, one of the implications that we'll see from this is that there is not going to be chaos in the local church if it really comes from the Spirit, because the Spirit is working towards unity in the church and so on and so forth. And so whatever happens in this passage happens through the Spirit of God 
and from the unity of the Godhead. Let's read our text together. This is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11. We read this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, or dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And we'll look at this really in three main sections. We're going to first see the evidence of the Spirit's work, then the variety of the Spirit's work, and then finally the sovereignty of the Spirit's work, the fact that this is all something that comes from the Lord, not from us. Paul begins this section in verses 1 through 3 with a statement now concerning... And of course, as we saw earlier and we have seen throughout 1 Corinthians, this is a key indication that he is about to switch to a new topic. This topic of spiritual gifts, as we said, will extend through the end of chapter 14. But before we begin here in chapter 12, I'd like us to look at a couple of definitions of spiritual gifts to kind of get an idea of exactly what's being talked about. I'm just going to use a couple um, that I came across as I was uh, studying for this. One of them is uh, John MacArthur. He defines spiritual gifts as this. Spiritual gifts are divine enablements for ministry. Characteristics of Jesus Christ are to be manifested through the body corporate, just as they were manifested through the body incarnate. They are uh, gifts that the Spirit has given to believers to help the work of the ministry. We see uh, the New Dictionary of Biblical Theology says a spiritual gift is a manifestation of the Spirit through an individual and an event or enabling for the service of God and or his people. And then finally, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he actually references the Greek lexicon. I'm just going to put the whole section here. He says, here is a definition given in a well-known Greek lexicon, and up to a point the definition is helpful. Spiritual gifts are described as extraordinary powers distinguishing certain Christians and enabling them to serve the church of Christ, the reception of which is due to the power of divine grace operating in their souls by the Holy Spirit. Basically, spiritual gifts are distinct from natural talents. Well, they certainly could build upon them, perhaps. Um, and these spiritual gifts are given at salvation by the Holy Spirit, and the choice is His regarding which gift you receive. You cannot submit a gift request form. You are given a gift by the Spirit for His choice, for His purposes. And so Paul then begins this section by informing them, hey, I'm about to talk about spiritual gifts in the church. And he starts off with a statement describing 
the evidence of the Spirit's work. Before he even says, here's what the gifts are, he says, first I'm going to give you evidence that the Spirit is working in you to begin with, and then I'll tell you what these specific gifts are. And so in verses 2 through 3, he says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one's speaking in the Spirit of God. If someone is, is, is being led by the Spirit and they are exercising their spiritual gifts, no one is going to say Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, on the other hand, the corollary to this, Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, they used to be pagans. They were listening to mute or dumb idols. Now they have been regenerated. They are in Christ. And the evidence is seen, their conversion evidence is seen by what they say from their mouth. No true Christian is going to say Jesus is accursed. And no unbeliever is going to say Jesus is Lord. Now, it is a little bit hard, I think, for some of us today to understand who would ever say Jesus is accursed and claim to be a Christian? Who would say this and, and why were there people at the church in Corinth saying this? And I have one theory, and I'm not sure this is the reason why, but this is maybe why they were saying this. And if this is why they were saying this, then it teaches us the importance of sound doctrine and sound theology. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now this is a quote from Deuteronomy 21.23. And it is possible that those people in the church of Corinth who were saying Jesus is accursed... We're thinking of this. Um, this is a reminder to us of the importance of theological precision. And I know that sometimes we can say, boy, it sounds like we're getting bogged down with all of the minutiae of theology and we just need to get past that. But this would teach us otherwise. Because the, the, the difference between heresy and orthodoxy is the tense of a verb. Past tense versus present tense. It is true that Jesus became a curse, but it is not true that Jesus is accursed today. And so... The tense at which you say some of these things is going to differentiate you between someone who's orthodox and someone who is a false teacher. Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 12 that nobody who is truly regenerate will say Jesus is accursed. Jesus was made a curse in the sense that he hung on a tree, but Jesus himself is not accursed. And he says, likewise, the opposite is true. No one can say Jesus is Lord unless they're truly regenerate. Um, and so this one is maybe a little bit of an interesting one because you may be thinking, no one can say Jesus is Lord unless they're truly regenerate. And then you think of Matthew seven twenty one that says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And so you say, there are, Matthew 7 says, there are going to be some people who will say, Lord, Lord, who will say the name of Christ and will not come in. And then Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 12 that no one is going to say, only people who are truly regenerated are going to say this. And so you say, what exactly is going on here? Um, and, and I would suggest to us that what Paul is saying is that nobody is truly going to, with sincerity of heart, going to attribute lordship to Christ unless they are truly regenerated. Only those, of course, an unbeliever can walk in and pick up a piece of paper and just read that Jesus is Lord. He's not saying that means that they're automatically regenerated. He's saying no one out of a true, sincere confession of heart can say, Christ is Lord and be truly regenerated. And that's what he's getting at here. What is the purpose of these three verses at the beginning of the section on spiritual gifts? Well, what Paul is doing here is he is starting his discussion about spiritual gifts this way because he's saying the ultimate test of the Spirit's working in a person's life is their theological orthodoxy. Not necessarily whether they can do something fanciful or that is awe-inspiring or something that we may perceive to be a spiritual gift. There are lots of snake oil salesmen, and just because someone does something that appears spiritual or appears miraculous, that is not a litmus test for whether they are in Christ or not. Paul starts off by saying, your litmus test is theological orthodoxy. Do you believe the right things about Christ? And if you deny the lordship of Christ, and you do all these things that appear miraculous, it's nothing. And so he begins with a little bit of a, a, a caveat of sorts here to say theological orthodoxy is going to be the driving factor to know who's regenerate and who's not, not whether they can do something that seems uh, potentially miraculous. And that is kind of how he begins this uh, section. And so with this in mind, he now transitions to talking about the gifts themselves. And so this is the variety of the Spirit's work. There are all kinds of gifts that the Spirit is giving here. Beginning in verse 4, he says there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Uh, There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all to everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What this means is that no two people here at Crossview Church are gifted spiritually, in exactly identical ways. God has placed uh, the members of the church here, and while we may share um, overlapping gifts and things of that nature, we are not gifted in identical ways. Um, And yet we do have the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God that is giving us the grace to have these gifts. Now what this means at a most basic level that the same God empowers us with these gifts, is that our various gifts, as we are exercising them, will not conflict with one another. Because God is giving to us giftedness for the building up of the body here in the church. And so we're not going to crowd one another out, so to speak. We're not going to step on one another's toes. 
unless, of course, we are in sin in some way. But that doesn't come from the Spirit. It comes from the same Spirit to gift us this way, the same Lord and the same God. In other words, God doesn't contradict himself. He doesn't say, I'm going to gift this person in a way that conflicts with this person, and it's going to cause all kinds of chaos and tension in the local church. No, he doesn't gift in that kind of a way. Specifically, these gifts are given for a purpose, and that purpose is given to us in verse 7. And if you look down at the passage in front of you, you'll see that it says, these gifts are given for what? The common good. In other words, these gifts are given for the building up of the church. The gifts that the Spirit gives to you are not given to you for you to live as an isolated island and serve only yourself. The gifts are for others in the church. They are intended to be a blessing to others. And so it is necessary for us to pause here for a moment and make a significant theological point, and that is this. Church members who fail to meet together through regular church attendance fail to edify their brothers and sisters in Christ. When you skip church, you are harming yourself, but you also are doing something negative to your brothers and sisters in Christ who need you here. And we can make a second closely related point, and that is this. Well, you attend all the time. Okay, fine. Church members who are only spectators fail to edify their brothers and sisters in Christ. Why is this the case? This is because your spiritual gifts were given to you not for yourself but for others. That's what the text says. It was given to you to use to edify your brothers and sisters in the local church. I mean, look at verse 7 again. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? For is indicating the purpose. What is the reason that this was given? For the common good, for others. What this means then is that one of the biggest problems with sporadic church attendance is... Um, not what you're missing out on, although it is that, yes. But in this context, what your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church are missing out on by not having you here. That is, again, not to say that you are not missing out. Yes, you are. But in this context, your brothers and sisters are missing out because you're not here. You are not permitted to be an isolated island as a Christian. This is not what God has designed for the church. God has designed the church to edify one another, to fellowship with one another, and to be with one another. It would be like trying to play a sport with one less teammate, okay? Yeah, you're not on the field, so you suffer in a way, but your team, you've let the team down so to speak, or playing a sport with one of your teammates who just stands on the field and does nothing. (laughs) 
just going to stand here and, oh, there goes the ball. Okay. What are you doing? Your, your, your team is, is missing out because of that. This is what a spectator Christian does to the local church. Or imagine a soldier. Imagine you're in the middle of battle. And a soldier, there's bullets whizzing past. And this soldier is just texting on his phone or something like that. I mean, it, that, that's dangerous. It is dangerous to be in the trenches and bullets are whizzing past. And you have men who are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And now you're more vulnerable to attack because of that. Well, put that in the context of the local church. There is a certain sense in which when our brothers and sisters in Christ are not meeting regularly, they are putting others in a difficult situation or making others vulnerable because you're not blessing them with the gifts God has given to you. Just one example. Let's say, and one of the gifts that we'll see here in just a moment, is the gift of discernment. And let's say the Lord has gifted you in an unusual way with the gift of discernment. And you have an ability given to you by God to be able to see things that are not right in someone's doctrine or their theology. A a new teacher comes on and everyone's praising this teacher and you're saying, wait a second, something's wrong. And you are not committed to regular attendance at the local church. You're isolating yourself. These other people who don't see that need you to exercise your gift so they're not led astray. And so we can hurt one another by not exercising our gifts in the context of the local church. So what should you do? Well, get in the arena, roll up your sleeves, get some mud on you, and get in the trenches. Stop texting and get in the trenches. How? Well, by exercising the gift, whatever your gift or gifts, plural, are. And there's a list of them here. Verse 8. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, another faith by the same Spirit, another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, another working of miracles to another prophecy, another the ability to distinguish between spirits. This is... um, what we talked about there, uh, and another various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues. So what I'm going to do here is hit on these one at a time and uh, briefly hit on each gift and explain what's going on here. Number one is the utterance of wisdom. Wisdom is, you know what wisdom is? It's a little different. from It's related to knowledge. Right, but it's a little different. Wisdom is applying knowledge. Some people have called it skill in living. Wisdom is taking knowledge and applying it into daily living. So this could be expressed in numerous ways. Uh, the gift of wisdom could be expressed through biblical exposition, uh, through biblical counseling. Biblical counseling is a um, really direct application here 
because you're taking knowledge and you're applying it to someone's specific situation in their life. It'd be wisdom. Um, you also have teaching as well. Uh, can be the gift of wisdom. Again, not just knowledge in general, but applying that knowledge to real-life scenarios. While all of us are called to be wise, some of us God has gifted in a unique way here. And this is going to be really the same for practically all of the spiritual gifts. You say, I'm not gifted in this way, so I can... No. <laughs> we all have to be wise. We all have to evangelize. God has given some people a unique gift in those areas, and they should exercise those gifts to the ability that they're able to with the grace that God gives. But many of these, or all of them, we should, we should all be seeking to do. Next one is the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. Again, knowledge related to wisdom. Uh, this gift has to do with really being able to understand God's word and truth in general. Uh, those with this gift, I think, also oftentimes correspond to the gift of discernment. They can discern truth from error. Uh, oftentimes, we see apologists uh, gifted in this way. They have a huge body of knowledge. They're drawing from history, from philosophy, from all kinds of things. They're applying that. They're, they're viewing those things through the lens of Scripture, applying theology to these areas, and they have a lot of knowledge to synthesize, I'll get that, this together, <laughs> and put it in a way that is understandable to everyone. Next one is faith. And again, well, I don't have the gift of faith, so I don't have to exercise faith. No. There are some people that are uniquely gifted in this way. Have you ever heard someone maybe share a testimony and they exhibited a great amount of faith and you thought to yourself, I want to have faith like that. There are some people that are particularly gifted with faith, and we need these people to encourage us to strengthen our faith. Um, Jim Elliott's famous line, I think, fits the bill here, right? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And you hear a man say something like that, and then go into the Alka Indian tribe and be murdered. And these, these group of men that go there, they leave widows behind. And then you read his quote where he says this, and you think to yourself, Lord, give me faith like that. We need those people. Because if we were honest, all of us go through the ups and downs of struggling with faith. Anyone exempt from that, by the way? All of us struggle with that. And what is it like to listen, to, to sit down with one of your brothers or sisters in Christ and hear them share a testimony of how the Lord worked and how their faith remained strong through that? You say, Lord, thank you. This is the Lord gifting us with people. We need these people in the church. And we need you, if you've been gifted with this, to exercise this gift in the context of the local church. Next is gifts of healing. Um, I want to make two observations about this. Number one, this was a legitimate gift at the beginning of the church. 
This was a gift that the Spirit had gifted people with, where they had gifts of healing. Second, what passes today as the gift of healing is deception, smoke and mirrors. It is the work of snake oil salesmen. Okay? So, just to say some names here. Stay away from Kenneth Copeland, Todd White, Francis Chan. He's a new member of this club. Benny Hinn, Joel Osteen, T.D. Jakes, Joyce Meyer, Creflo Dollar, and we could go on and on and on and on and on. Okay? These men and women are false. They are liars and they are deceivers. Do not follow these people. They are snake oil salesmen. And they will get up on stage and they will have dozens of people in the church building in wheelchairs and all sorts of things in the back trying to get up and no one will let them come to the front. And the only ones who are allowed to come to the front are the ones that you can fake a healing with. And they come to the front and they, whatever, hit them in the head, slap them, whatever, whatever they do, and they're quote-unquote healed. Okay, that is not healing. Okay, um, these men and women are liars and deceivers. And by the way, they prey on people too, because these people are flying in private jets all over the place at the expense of someone who just is hoping for a miracle, and they fleece them, and. Um, are sinning against the Lord, and we need to call these people out. Um, by the way, it is appropriate to call people out by name. The New Testament does that. Paul does that. Um, and so we need to do this as well. But the question remains, is there a legitimate expression or a legitimate gift of healing today? Um, we can point to a lot of false teachers, but the question is, is there a legitimate form of this today? And I would suggest to us that the answer to that is no. Now, let me preface this by saying this. God can heal today. God does heal today. And God can heal using the means of another believer's prayer to accomplish that end. But the gift of healing is different than this. The gift of healing is where you walk up to a person and you put your hand on them and they are healed. And I'm going to heal you, and I'm going to heal you, and I'm going to heal you, and healed, 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 healed. Okay? If Benny Hinn can do this for real, then why does he not go down to the local children's hospital and heal all the kids hooked up to chemotherapy IVs? Why doesn't he do that? He's got to have it staged, and it's got to be this, and it's got to be that. In the book of Acts, it becomes clear that Peter had this gift, by the way. I mean, Peter would just walk up to people and say, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Just walk up to anyone and do this. This is what the gift of healing is. And I would suggest to us that this gift was a temporary gift given at the start of the church age in order to validate the apostles in the New Testament. The New Testament was being given. The New Testament was not there yet. Jesus Christ just came on the scene. And now... There is a gift to say, this really is legitimate. 
This really is here. And now what do we have? We have the word of God. And so we don't need to give any kind of, um, the, the word of God is credible in and of itself. We have the closed canon, so to speak. And I told you that I was going to kind of start in on this topic, but not totally flesh it out because the text does that as we go on. And one of the key places that this happens is in 1 Corinthians 13, and we're not there yet, okay? But in 1 Corinthians 13, we are going to see um, that some of these gifts are given for a season, are given temporarily, and um, I would suggest to us that this is one of those gifts uh, that that has happened to, and we'll see that flesh out more in 13. Next one is the working of miracles. And again, same category as healings. This is like an Elijah, Elisha kind of thing. Okay, there's poison in the stew. Okay, no more poison in the stew. This is miraculous gifts. Same idea as um, the healings present in the New Testament, early, early uh, church New Testament, but not today. Next one is prophecy. Um, there is a component to this that is telling the future as the prophets would do, as God revealed the future to them. But there also is an aspect of the gift of prophecy that is not foretelling, but forthtelling, or telling the word of God, or teaching the word of God. Uh, so someone today who would be gifted with prophecy... Uh, would not be saying tomorrow this is going to happen or whatever. But it would be those who are gifted as preachers or, or teachers. It follows the same vein as in the Old Testament. What did the Old Testament prophets begin their prophecies with? Thus saith the Lord. And so if someone is gifted in this way today, they will also begin with, Thus saith the Lord. In other words, we are here not for my opinion. We are here for what the word says. Thus, This is what the Bible says. Thus saith the Lord. These people preach God's word, not their own opinions. Um, they don't offer TED Talks. They offer biblical preaching, biblical exposition. They don't alter the word of God. For their own benefit or any other reason, they preach the word of God because this is what God said. We are, as preachers, in a sense, mailmen. And we are not to tamper with the mail. When, we are, when, when, when a mailman is delivering mail, um, there's actually a serious penalty. It's a federal offense, right? I think it's a federal offense. You open up a piece of mail and you tamper or you throw a piece of mail away, or whatever, you have just changed what the message is, and we are not permitted to change the message. Next one is the ability to distinguish between spirits. This is discernment. Um, now, keep in mind that while every Christian should be discerning, some Christians are gifted in this area. And I want to pause here for just a moment. Um. God has gifted some people in the local church with this gift of discernment. And what that means then is there are going to be some Christians who see trouble coming before other Christians see trouble coming. 
whether this is in the culture, whether this is in a false teacher, or whatever this is, there are going to be people who are going to see something happening, and you're not going to see anything happening. The tendency then for the Christians who don't have the gift of discernment is going to be for them to look at those who do have the gift of discernment and say, you're a wacko. (laughs) You're a conspiracy theorist. What are you talking about? It could be correct. But it also might be correct that you don't see what they see. I want to offer some insightful wisdom given by Dave Doran on this. He said, not all good men arrive at the same conclusion at the same time. So be cautious about criticizing harshly those who sound the alarm early and loudly. It may be that they spot something others are missing. Could be. And then, as Doran was talking here, he quotes Carson. And I thought this was a pretty uh, insightful Statement. He said, The most dangerous errors in any generation are those that many Christian leaders do not see. And part of the gift of discernment lies not only in perceiving the theological ramifications of a particular stance, but its long term implications. If some position is allowed to flourish unchecked for 50 years, what will be the result? It's easy to spot yesterday's dangers. (laughs) Any of us can spot yesterday's dangers. But it becomes much more challenging to spot tomorrow's dangers. And so sometimes someone with the gift of discernment is not, they might not necessarily be saying this is totally wrong thoroughly here, but this will create this 50 years from now. And so many people have said this for years, and I think this remains the case for Genesis 1 through 3 and Genesis 1 through 11. If you tamper with that now, it doesn't necessarily mean someone can still believe in justification by faith alone. Yes. However, what happens when you tamper with Genesis 1 through 3 for 50 years? Did God really say? And so sometimes these issues of discernment are saying there's a problem, there, there's, we have to sound the alarm today. Because this could create something today in our culture, or it could be creating something 50 years from now in our culture. And then Doran continues, and he says this. There are plenty of historical examples of this and of good men sounding off, uh, uh, good men sounding off ahead of their times. These confirm the wisdom of early warnings and the danger of naive assumptions about error and errors. Rather than knee-jerk reactions or nitpicks about their tone or warning, why not listen and watch things develop for a bit? Time will tell. Okay. So, when your brothers and sisters in Christ say, this is a problem, maybe God has gifted them with the gift of discernment, and you should say, instead of laughing them off to scorn, you should say, um, I'm going to buy you lunch this week. <laughs> And I want you to sit down and tell me exactly what you're seeing and why you're seeing this. Because I don't see this at all. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. You think you see something. And I better know if this is right or, or not. 
Perhaps the Holy Spirit has gifted them in such a way as to perceive what a small dose of error will do over the course of generations. And so be wise in this area and listen. Next one is tongues. Um, And again, I'm going to say more on this in chapter 13 because we have a very specific statement in chapter 13 and it says this, as for tongues, they will cease. Okay. The New Testament gift of tongues was the ability to speak a foreign language that you never studied before. And it was a blessing because it, it sped up the speed at which the gospel spread. Now today, false teachers simply speak gibberish and pretend that is the gift of tongues. In fact, you could actually go to school to learn how to speak in tongues. Okay? And they teach you how to speak gibberish. Okay, And you string together all these sounds and these syllables, and there's a certain way that if you say syllables this way and put them with these other syllables, that it kind of sounds, to them, neat. I don't know. (laughs) But this is not the gift of tongues. And of course, we have interpretation of tongues here as well, and those would go with the gift of tongues. By the way, we will get to this more as well in chapter 14, because Paul says, If you are going to use tongues, this is how you should do it. And you need to have someone to interpret. Otherwise, it's useless. And so again, the modern expression of this that is false would would not do this. Would simply do it for the sake of notoriety or whatever. And so I would suggest that as 1 Corinthians 13 has said, tongues has ceased. Okay, let's go to verse 11 now and wrap up this text here. We have the evidence of the Spirit's work, and that is good theology, good doctrine. You can't say Jesus is accursed. We had the variety of the Spirit's work, all these gifts, many, many, many different gifts. And now we have the sovereignty of the Spirit's work, and that's simply in verse 11, and it simply says this, um, or maybe I don't have it up there, but we'll read it. All of these, verse 11, are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as who wills. Yeah, as he wills. Not as you will, but as he wills. And so we opened up with this theme, and the passage now closes with this theme. Gifts are given by the Spirit, not chosen by us. Certainly we can desire a certain gift, but ultimately we cannot choose that. And God has gifted us in unique ways to bless the church. Okay, so where do we go from here? I opened up by telling you not to take spiritual gift tests. And I didn't give you an alternative. What can you do if you would like to know how am I gifted? Well, I have three answers for you. Number one, read the Bible Read and study the word. Get to know it in detail. Get to know what the various gifts are. You will not be equipped to know how you're gifted if you don't even know what the Bible has to say on the topic in the first place. And so if you're trying to find out where are you gifted, study scripture. Second, do some introspection alongside of scripture. Take what the Bible says about this. Take the way that you think I think I'm gifted maybe in this way, and put it alongside of Scripture. Compare your gifts to, to, to what you see in Scripture and ask, am I gifted in these certain ways? And do some inventory, so to speak. Third, uh, depend on the wisdom in the local church. 
ask others for input. Ask them what they think of your giftedness. And by the way, do not get frustrated about this. Some people get frustrated. I don't know, what's my spiritual gift? What's my spiritual gift? What's my spiritual? Sometimes it takes time for that to develop and the church to identify that in you. Okay, Especially kids, as you are growing, uh, you trust in Christ, and you begin to say, how am I gifted in these ways? Um, kind of takes some time to see where the Lord has gifted you. Um, responding this way, I would suggest, is superior to the Scantron way um, because you're using the means that God has ordained for us to grow in wisdom and sanctification. God's given us the church. God's given us his spirit. God's given us the word. So use what God has given to us to find out how God has gifted us. And so in light of all this, I have two points of application today. And that is this. Number one, uh, identify your spiritual gifts through the word, introspection, and a multitude of counselors inside of the local church. God has gifted us all in unique ways. And so seek that. By the way, don't get frustrated again if not immediately apparent to you. It's okay. And then the second point of application is this. Instead of isolating yourself, use your spiritual gifts for the common good, as the text says, through regular attendance and involvement in the local church. Do not withhold your giftedness from others in the body, whatever that is. Um, in whatever way the Lord has gifted you, use it here in the context of the church. It's not just Sunday morning, but it is at least Sunday morning. And it is also throughout the week and so on and so forth as we engage with one another at prayer meeting um, and, and our other interactions throughout the week. We have a long path ahead of us in spiritual gifts all the way through chapter 14 and trust that the Lord will use this to encourage us. By the way, if you are not in Christ, then you have not been given a spiritual gift. And so the call for you is to repent and believe on Christ and the gospel because he is sufficient for salvation. Thank you, God, again for today, for your grace, for your mercy, for your kindness, for your patience. And we thank you for the variety of gifts that you have given to the local church. We pray that you might bless now. Help us as we seek to honor you through observing communion, the Lord's Supper, that we would do this with a heart motivation that is pure, that is sincere, and that we would glorify you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.